Welcome to Takeaways, Life Lessons Learned. I'm your host, Hayam Mizrahi, recording from MDL Group. Recognized market leaders in commercial real estate brokerage and property management in Las Vegas, Nevada. Join me as I explore my takeaways from the people who have influenced me the most. Let's get started. My guest today is Ruth Furman, the one and only. Ruth is the owner of Image Words, which is a Las Vegas-based public relations company. Ruth works with clients that include industries in healthcare, construction, legal, real estate, not so much restaurants anymore, but yes, a luxury caterer and uh, family-owned businesses like a family-owned pawn shop here in Las Vegas. Uh, Ruth, thanks for being here. I'm so excited. Thanks for having me. So you spent two decades, you have two decades of experience in public relations. You moved to Vegas in 99, 1999 from Chicago. 1999 from Chicago. Yeah. Former journalist and then pivoted into PR. Haven't had my own business since 2001 here in Vegas. So you are a hashtag shop local obsessed Las Vegan right now. Hopefully we'll talk about a little more what that is. I also know you as a fitness guru, uh, someone who I have admired since uh, the first time that I had a you know, personal interaction with you and certainly over my observation of you uh, professionally in the last few years, I, every time I, I grow more to admire what it is that you're doing and our relationship as it develops. So you started a bit, but continue down the path in your own words. Tell us who you are and what you do. Well, thank you. I'm a I'm a big fan of yours as well. Uh, and as far as who I am and, and what I do, I was a journalism major in college. I was in theater before that. I have a, definitely have a flair for the dramatic. <laughs> and I'm a journalism major in college. And my first job out of out of college was with a magazine. And I immediately fell in love with promotions and and writing about marketing and public relations. So when I had an opportunity to get a corporate PR job a few years later in Chicago, I took it and I loved it. And then I uh, met my now husband, moved to Vegas, and started my own firm a couple years after I moved to Vegas. My company in Chicago originally kept me as a consultant and uh, started my own company and I have been doing it ever since, having my own firm. And I really, really like having my own firm because I really like helping companies, brands, and individuals share their stories with uh, their prospective customers, their internal audience, and the world at large. And I love to do what I call helping them shine brighter. It's really a passion of mine. And also doing what I call brand layering, where I am connecting them with other businesses and strategic philanthropy. So you brought him up, uh, your husband, Michael Furman. Talk about him. So Michael is my complete opposite. He and I think maybe that's one reason it works. <laughs> he's he's very calm. <laughs> he you know he's uh, he's a great guy. He um, moved to Las Vegas uh, from New York. He was a commodities trader and he got burnt out, so he moved to Vegas and uh, sports book industry. And he is now semi-retired and um, pursuing some other endeavors. And you guys work together in your company, ImageWords, or not really? Uh, yeah, a little bit. A little bit. He's on my website, and he does – my website is in the process of being redone. But, yes, he does He does help me a lot. I call him my chief operating officer. He. Um, what does he call himself? He, he calls himself the guy who keeps Ruth out of her own way. <laughs> Um, when you have your own business and, you know, as a sole proprietor, um, I sometimes need help making decisions. So I will often run things by him when I'm talking to a prospective client, when I'm pricing bids or services, or even if I need to gut check whether or not 
a pitch of mine is newsworthy because I tend to fall in love with my ideas and my clients. And sometimes I, I want a second opinion, um, someone I know really well to say, am I in the right Am I in the right wavelength on this? So yeah, he's he helps me a lot. And he also does um, some of my uh, billing and my um, payment to my vendors. Now, you and I have had some opportunity to dabble together professionally. Uh, one experience was when MDL Group was working with Boys Town to do a uh, backpack fundraising challenge where we thought we were going to raise 2500 and ended up raising... 10,000. And that's an example of the brand layering where you had a client that was, you were working with, it was a restaurant that was uh, starting uh, new stores here in Las Vegas, and they hired you to get the, the, the word out. So that was a Metro Diner. And what I'll say about my observation of what you did for them was PR for the masses. And then a friend of ours, a mutual friend of ours, um, Galit Rosen, who I don't know if it was year two, three years ago, she decided to uh, change what she's doing and really pursue her passions as a uh, public speaker, now an, a published author. And you've worked with her, which I would, again, outside of looking in, I would say that is more PR to a highly niched audience. So broad spectrum, uh, how do you kind of value or or approach each of those respectively? I really think about uh, and focus on what they are trying to achieve and who they are trying to reach or target. And also, and this is kind of where maybe I differ a little bit from what I do, I think a lot about how the results of my efforts can be shared and maximized for them. So, for example, you know, with with uh, Metro Diner and our collaboration mm -hmm. for Boys Town. So, Metro Diner is a national brand. They were opening some locations in Vegas. We, uh, you know, for their grand opening of one of their locations, we uh, made a, they made a portion of the proceeds to a nonprofit. I got in Boys Town involved because of you. Was that so? Just dial back uh -huh. a second. Did, does Metro do that yes. everywhere where they open stores? So, I think that's smart. So, every restaurant has a soft opening where they invite their the friends and family to kind of let the, the front of house and back of house work through their kinks and whatnot. Metro does something really smart that whatever proceeds come from that goes to a local charity. I think that's brilliant. Well, the other thing about it that was great for me is that um, there are a lot of restaurants that open in Vegas. <laughs> and one of the, the ways that this Boys Town um, collaboration and then other nonprofits for some of the other openings that I helped with, and they do have a national PR firm, uh, and they, they used me specifically for these Vegas openings, is that it makes it any kind of a collaboration with a nonprofit makes what you're doing infinitely more newsworthy. So because of that, I was able to line up some really great news coverage for them for their opening tied in specifically with the nonprofit. And I do that for all of my clients whenever I can. I always like to say, um, what else you got? When mm -hmm. I'm talking to a client that wants news coverage, they're having a special event. You know, why will the media care? So any type of um, nonprofit collaboration is going to make whatever you're doing infinitely no more newsworthy. Now, you asked about Galit. So Galit, um, she is really um, exceptional and very uh, kind of unusual because she can speak to a lot of different topics. So one well, of elaborate a little bit more on Describe Galit as a client for anyone listening who has no idea what the hell we're talking about. Well, Galit wrote a book called The Successful Woman's Mindset. Before her book came out, she um, was doing a lot of speaking. She was doing a lot of consulting. And now she's on a national stage. You know, her brand has really exploded. Her objective with me was to showcase her expertise and to get her some really good content for her speaker reel. So we had her on, uh, we did a lot of TV. Mm -hmm. I, I, I assisted her with some of her um, columns in various publications, and she did a lot of it on her own. But her, her objective for me was very specific. We worked together on uh, getting her a lot of um, TV coverage with her as an expert on various topics. Most recently, we did something on not just New Year's resolutions, but making your goals a reality. Mm -hmm. So with 
pretty much every segment, we really focused on something that would benefit her brand and spotlight her expertise. So this is like the 10 o'clock spot on Fox News in the morning that her audience should be listening to, the demographic of her audience? Yes. However, um, I never assume, and I tell my clients to never assume, that their prospective audience sees the coverage. So what I do right away for all of my clients, and I'm kind of pushy about it, <laughs> is... Uh, I don't see you as pushy. Oh, you know, <laughs> I'm, I, I'm, I'm kind of strategically assertive. We'll say strategically all assertive. Right, that's good. Um, I like to say, you know, why even bother to engage a public relations firm if you're not going to share your coverage? coverage before, during, and after. What does that mean? So like with Galit, for example, you know, um, since we're talking about her, she would do a Facebook Live from the TV station. She would promote prior, I'm going to be on Channel 8 between 3 and 4 o'clock, talking about whatever the topic is. Mm -hmm. Often we would do um, a Facebook Live after. Um, She would share it on Instagram, all of her social. And then after, we would order an MP4 because, in my opinion, a link isn't enough because some social media uh, doesn't get as much engagement with a link alone. Uh, And we would order an MP4, and then she would share it on all of her social media and uh, put it in her speaker reel which she uses to promote herself for speaking gigs. So this before, during, and after strategy, this um, you talked earlier, why bother kind of a thing. Later on, it's going to show up um, about, you know, your approach to PR is don't assume attention span. So assume zero attention span, make it so good that it's going to be catchy. There's, there's a takeaway in and of itself, not just for PR, but for everything in life. I'll uh, kind of digress a bit and then we'll, we'll, we'll jump back forward. When we did the backpack challenge for Boys Town, we kept asking what else, what else, what else? There's another thing that I've been involved with last year with the Jewish Federation, specifically their men's events. So organizing Jewish men from you know, certain ages to get together. We, we asked up front, if I'm a you know, 40-ish male, Jewish male in Las Vegas. I likely have a family. I likely have kids. I'm likely employed. uh, And I've got a ton of demands on my time. So if I'm going to choose to go to this event, it has to be so good to compete with all of that. And then when we created the event that we thought was so good that would get someone to sign up, we kept asking, what would make it better? What else could we do? And we kept pushing and pushing and pushing. And everyone we did last year was amazing. Because we kept asking, you know, what's before, what's the during, what's the after. So you did some great brand layering too with cocktail partners and great brands and great resorts, and you nailed it. Thank you. That was, and it was a lot of fun along the way. So thanks for letting me digress there, but I wanted to put a little exclamation mark on that takeaway. And this show is called Takeaways, and it's about my takeaways from people who I've learned from and who have influenced me. So I want to ask you what one thing or event has shaped your life or influenced you the most. And I, uh, I would say my younger brother, Joel Hamburg, who lives in South Bend, Indiana. Uh, Joel has Down syndrome. And he is one of the most exceptional people that not only I know, but that anyone who meets him will ever know. He is universally positive. I think many of us can get negative and can kind of get into that victim mindset when things don't go our way in life. But Joel is universally positive. He does get in little snits sometimes, you know, like we all do. But he's very, very positive, very joyful. Uh, one of the things that I really admire about Joel, um, and I, I noticed this from childhood, um, he is what I would call a chameleon. He can innately sense other people and their reaction to him and then he adjusts accordingly and I think that is a huge huge asset it's like an advanced technique they they teach in sales courses yeah I mean like I remember growing up you know there would be like little kids that would be like they saw this 
this kid who was different and they didn't know quite how to deal with him. And Joel, I he could really sense that. And he would kind of back away a little bit. He wouldn't be kind of like overly aggressive or overly loud. He just seemed to get it. And then there would be other, then there were other people that he could tell just treated him normally. And he would just kind of joke around with them. So yeah, and I, I think that's something that I really, really um, try to remind myself of often. If I'm going to an event or if I'm interacting with someone that that might behave a certain way or might be super conservative, maybe I'll dial it back a little bit. I'll try to be a little bit more. Is that of a because chameleon. of Joel or because you also have this innate ability to read people? I do not have his innate ability at all. Um, I, you know, my natural tendency is just to be a hundred percent myself and a hundred percent on in every situation. How do you describe Ruth at a hundred percent on? Who is that person? Um, a little over the top, to be honest with you. A little bit over the top. You know, I'm a very enthusiastic person, and um, I, um, I think that I want to be myself, and I want to be authentic, and I want to be transparent, but uh, I think that you really need to be, be a chameleon, and you need to mirror uh, the situation that you're in. And especially because everyone has a short attention span. If I'm babbling on and on about the coffee shop I was just at or, you know, something that I'm passionate about, people are going to tune out. So I really, especially through Joel's motivation, I really, and I think this is a line from Hamilton, talk less, listen more. So I try to, I try to do that. It doesn't come naturally to me, mm -hmm. but I really, really work at it. You know, I remember thinking back to the first, one of the first times we met, I, I went away thinking... Ruth is intense. Absolutely. And I don't mean that in a bad way. It's just, it is. Ruth is intense. Uh, there's another thing I'll bring up. Uh, there's a gentleman I met in town who I was on a board for Commercial Alliance, which is the commercial arm for the Greater Las Vegas Association of Realtors. His name is George McCabe. He has been their PR person for our, ever since I've been on, which has been at least a good six, seven years. He is one of the person people that introduced me to you. I view George as best in class PR and that guy just consistent shows up high caliber uh, knows what his client needs better than his client does and here's this guy who is top of class high caliber saying uh, I would recommend Ruth because he viewed you as that kind of that same thing high caliber best of class uh, you know different I think in your approaches and your clients but still and I've come to learn that you are in your world that I mean best in class high caliber and that comes I believe from your passion and intensity thank you so much I remember that meeting and I remember leaving thinking hmm uh, and I had met you before but thinking I may have been a little over the top for him and uh, that was what was that like four years ago maybe much longer oh. um 2000 yeah maybe yeah 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 2014 yeah, yeah. I remember um, sometimes my passion leads to my intensity because I remember at the time I had had this big client in the commercial real estate industry that I loved and they had taken work in-house a couple years before and I wanted a new commercial real estate client so badly that I think I was just oh, like 150% of myself. So since then, I think I'm, you know, a little bit more confident. So I don't need to sell myself so aggressively. So I've, I've pivoted from who I was, you know, in 2014. So stay on that. You want to kind of talk about expectations going in, coming out as it relates to this, this story specifically expectations. Hmm. Well, I don't know. I mean, I'm constantly a work in progress. I think that I've become more, I don't even want to say confident because it's not cocky, but it's a little bit more self-assured. I like to say that, um, and I think I got this from a podcast I listened to because I've been doing a lot of personal growth stuff over the last couple years, but I like to say that um, uh, results are sexy excuses are tacky. 
So I've had some really great results from some of the clients I've worked for in the last handful of years. So I think that rather than trying to sell myself so hard, I'm able to sell my work and I'm able to give examples. So I think that that has a lot of credibility and I think that earned media coverage has a lot of credibility as well. Okay. And we'll maybe save that part till a little bit later. I want to kind of jump off into my specific takeaways of you over the years and, and first talk about the power of an annual mantra. So I think it was last year or the year before you introduced me to this concept for yourself that every year you create a mantra for yourself. One of them, I believe, was winning bigger. I don't remember what last, that was 2017. I don't remember what you picked for 2018, but how did you start that? What is that? I started that in, I think it was 2013. And what happened was 2012 was a really dark year for me. I had some health challenges. Um, My three biggest clients took work in-house at the same time. Uh, And I was, I felt really defeated. And I... I knew I wanted to change, but I didn't really know how to change. But I knew that I had the desire to thrive. So I decided, you know, I'm going to come up with a hashtag for this year, a mantra. And at the time, it was lanyap, which means a little something extra in Creole. I just wanted a Wait, little. What? It means a little something extra in Creole. What's lanyap. the word? Lan- lanyap. L-A-N. L-A-G. L-A-G-N. I. A P P E Lanyap, a little something extra in Creole. How did how did you even find that? Oh, I went to New Orleans years ago. Fell in love with the word. Um, I'm a word girl mm-hmm. uh, with my journalism background. So Lanyap, I wanted a little something extra in my life. So I'm gonna just try harder. I'm gonna one more meeting, one more phone call, one more referral. You know, and then Lanyap in my life, one more trip one more experience. So Lanyap, that was my mantra. Then it was chasing joy. And then I decided chasing wasn't so healthy. So the year after it was choosing joy. One year it was winning bigger. Uh, This year, it was going to be focused joy. But I'm pivoting. Um, I'm being more decisive, but giving myself permission to change my mind. I don't know what my mantra is going to be this year yet. Guess I better think of one quick. Yeah, I want to stick on this thing about joy mm-hmm. because there's something that I've noticed from you that's a little different than what we typically hear out there. We typically hear, especially around this time of year, you know, we're in, by the time this airs, will be the end of January. So just a few weeks ago, everybody listening to this probably sat down and created New Year's resolutions as they do every single year. And right about now, end of January, creeping into the beginning of February, those resolutions, the uh, passion for them, the desire for them, the um, you know, belief that you can actually achieve them is starting to diminish right now. But with this, typically, you see everywhere, uh, you know, remove negativity from your life. I've never heard you say anything about removing negativity or as it relates to joy. You always talk about introducing joy choosing joy, bringing joy. And it's the exact opposite of removing negativity. Yeah, I don't think removing negativity is is realistic, unfortunately. Um, it's just about, for me, it's about doing what I call control the controllable and, you know, making the joyful choice when you can. You know, things happen. You have your day planned a certain way and, you know, someone else doesn't respond or, you know, something happens and the best laid plans, you know, uh, fall astray. So it's really about, you know, making the most joyful choice that you can, because quite frankly, I think that negativity and I've learned this the hard way. I think that negativity and the victim mentality is very polarizing and is a huge, huge turnoff for everyone you encounter. What does that mean, victim mentality? Oh my gosh, you know, my client canceled on me, or that contract didn't happen, or that person was unkind to me. Woe is me. It's just feeling sorry for yourself and complaining. 
you know, it's like one thing to just kind of like, you know, tell your spouse or one of your best friends about your bad day, but it's being a chronic complainer is just very unattractive. Um, are, you, are you or have you been a chronic complainer? Oh, yeah. In the past, in the past, you know, and I, you know, I think we all can be, but in the past, I would tend to be, my natural tendency sometimes is to be a little bit of a victim, you know, when something doesn't go my way. Um, but... I really make a big, big effort because it doesn't come naturally to me. I really make a big, big effort to be joyful. And sometimes if I'm having a really bad day or something doesn't go my way or um, just if my energy isn't the best, I will choose to not go to an event or not be super public. Just give myself a little bit of what I call um, white space or margin Mm -hmm. so that I can kind of shift my mindset. Something I really work on. So choosing not to go to an event is one example of how you reverse that victim mentality or the negative thinking. What would be another example for someone listening that it doesn't come naturally to them to be joyful? A lot of people talk about gratitude and making a list of what you're grateful for. And, oh, it could be a lot worse. But I'm like, you know, whatever. I mean, it's like I'm kind of a realistic person. But I I just kind of like to surround myself with a really, really amazing tribe of successful, positive, like-minded people. And the people in my tribe and, and my family... Um, you think that makes a difference? Oh, it makes a huge difference. I think some thought leadership experts call it a garden. Um, but it's they say that you become like the five people you spend the most time with. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure who says that. Mm-hmm. But um, like I said, I've been listening to a lot of podcasts <laughs> over the last couple of years. But, but yeah, it makes a huge difference for me. Like even yesterday, I had a situation where I had a TV segment that was going to happen, got rescheduled because of something out of my control, beyond my control. And um, one of my friends said, hey, you know, do you want to meet for coffee? I'm going to bring my dog. And I was like, oh, my gosh, absolutely. So, I mean, my whole energy totally shifted in a much more positive direction after that interaction. Because you made the choice to to be around the joyful choice. Absolutely. I made the joyful choice. Yeah. And then sometimes I, I tend to overcommit. Oh, I need to go to this event. I need to go to that event. Sometimes the more joyful choice is to stay home or to go to the gym, you know, or to, to go to a spin class or to uh, go spend some time with one of my favorite people. So you made a comment earlier that in 2012, it was a very dark year for you, specifically around health. Yep. And anyone who knows you now or follows you or sees anything, you're always posting about health and uh, exercise. You just mentioned, you know, maybe choose to go to the gym. Now, your first time at Weight Watchers was when you were 13 years old. And last year, September of last year, was the first time that you became a lifetime member of Weight Watchers. So for your entire adult life, practically, you've had this dance with weight and health. So I want to talk about that because I think it dovetails into this and, uh, you know, who's around you to help influence you, but the choices that you're making mentally and and physically. uh, And again, this being at the end of January where folks are probably gone from their, their goal of, you know, three to four times a week in the gym to maybe two or none. Let's, let's start with uh, your lifetime membership at Weight Watchers. What is that? What does that mean? Oh, gosh, that was so exciting. Uh, So I've had a lifelong struggle with weight. And I'm a compulsive eater. I really like food. I really like wine, Um, red wine especially. And um, I tend to overindulge. Um, I think it's kind of part of my personality. Um, I... uh, I tend to I tend to to overindulge. So basically, I think that um, 2000, I guess yeah. So it was the end of 2018. I decided, you know, I got that. I've got this. I'm cured. You know, I'm not going to be struggling anymore. I, I'm a lifetime member of Weight Watchers, which meant that I, I I hit my goal. And then you have to stay within two pounds under your goal or two pounds over your goal. And I set my goal really realistic so that I could have some wiggle room. Well, um, 
I got under my goal. I got over my goal. I got over that two pound window in November. And um, I'm now I'm about three pounds over my goal. The, like the goal being the, the maintenance weight that you want to maintain? The, ma- the maintenance weight, Got right. It. okay. Yeah, I'm about three pounds over my goal. So I think what I've learned is that... Wait, so September you hit your goal. Hit my goal. Ring the bell. Yep. Two months later, you're already uh, back to... Uh, well, I didn't gain a lot. I lost a, I lost quite a bit of weight over the last, over since 2015. I lost like 77 pounds, which was unbelievable. It was so exciting. And Weight Watchers as well as Power Hour 360, a gym mm-hmm. I go to, and then various other things that I did. But yeah, so I did. And I had told myself when I got to that goal, I am never getting over that number again. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm good. I've got this. And um, October, November, you're already back. Yep. November, um, I got, I was over it and not by a lot. But I was over it a little. And then through the holidays and some overindulgences, I got over it. I think at one point I was uh, 11 pounds over my goal. Over your maintained. Over my maintained. Lifetime achievement lifetime goal. Lifetime life. Yep. Yep. So how did that happen? Did the victim thinking set back in? Did the negativity take over? I felt kind of sorry for myself. Absolutely. I was like, seriously? what's wrong with me? You know, some negative Mm self-talk. Like I thought I had this pegged and, you know, um, how could this happen? Well, it happened because I got back on my workouts and I started eating poorly again. So, but I got myself back in check because years ago, a, a guy who did some freelance work for my PR firm said something to me that really resonated with me. He said, monsters are easier to kill when they're small. And that applies in any situation in life, if you think about it. You're running behind on a deadline. You gain some weight. Monsters are, and I'm like, wow, this monster is still pretty small. 12 pounds is not 77. I can do this. So I just went back to what worked. So that's interesting shift in perspective going from, I hit my goal. This will never happen again. So you're setting false expectations for yourself, (laughs) kind of, almost. Uh, but oops, I mean, in quick order, you're back above your maintained weight that you want to hit, uh, your goal for your ma- maintenance weight. I mean, that's quick. October, November, you're there. And then obviously the holidays. Nobody has control during the holidays. I told myself I was going to. I was like, this holiday season, I'm not gaining weight. It's not going to happen. And it happened. But then you shifted and remembered something that someone said about it's only 12 pounds. You went from, so perspective here, you went from losing 77 pounds to now you're, you have to go on a journey of losing 12 pounds. So where are you today? I am actually weighed myself early this morning, coincidentally, and I try not to weigh myself every day because I try really, really hard not to obsess, to be very kind to myself. Um, so I weighed myself this morning, and I am three pounds over my Weight Watchers goal. And by the time um, this airs, I intend to be under it. Because I really, my intention was always when I got to the goal, um, was to have some wiggle room so that mm-hmm. I could be comfortably be in that space where I wasn't at the high end of my goal ever. So how important is that wiggle room, not just with weight, but any goal that somebody set for themselves? For me, wiggle room is really important. I um, try to exceed um, or beat deadlines, for example. I try not to wait till the last minute uh, to turn something in. If someone gives me a deadline that isn't realistic for me, I ask for permission to get a deadline extension like I did with um, some information for this for this podcast. Mm-hmm. At first, I was like impulsively. I was like, oh, yeah, Tuesday should be no problem. But then I thought about it. and I Well, was actually, like, back up even further. This is something my partner, Carol, has influenced us all in this company about. Uh, you know, you and I are talking about, do you want to come on the podcast? Yes. I asked you for just some bio information. I know I've got your website, but I wanted it from you to see if it was different or, or not. And you asked, first, first thing, when do you need it by? That is a common thing you will hear here at MDL Group because of Carol's influence. If I ask you for something, you have an obligation to ask me, when do you need it by? So that puts me on, oh, well, we're going to be here Friday, so how about Tuesday? You said, sure. But then this is another key move here. If you can't hit the deadline, have a conversation around a new agreement, which you did. And you said, I, 
is Wednesday morning okay as opposed to Tuesday evening? And I said, sure, it doesn't, it's perfectly fine. So I've imposed the deadline because you've asked, but it wasn't the you know critical deadline. We could have gone to Thursday morning if we needed to, but you set the deadline, you asked for a new agreement, and here we are, everything was in order, and that works with everything. And the thing is, and I think I learned this from um, something my husband's uncle said once, he's super, super um, brilliant. He said, ask for a deadline extension before it's, <laughs> b- before it becomes an emergency or crisis. And when I, commu- yeah. can, when I communicated with you, um, I specifically asked, would you be willing, would it put you in a bind? Because if it had put you in a bind, I would have pulled an all-nighter to get it done if I needed to. Because I, mm. I never want to, because I know that when my own vendors miss deadlines, or my collaborators miss deadlines, it puts me in a bind. So sometimes, uh, something that I've learned is I sometimes set um, an aggressive deadline so that I have a little wiggle room in case they miss the deadline. So we started talking about this around um, a word you used, margins, or we talked about wiggle room, but you talked about margins. Uh, they show up in you know kind of setting deadlines, setting goals, but also in your day-to-day. So let's talk about that. What, how do you apply this concept of wiggle room and margins in your life and work? Well, I am big, big, big on this, and I... Um this is something actually new to me in the last couple of years. I used to be that person that got to a meeting a, a minute before it started. And um, it, it actually caused, I found that that style. And I used to, I used to just hit a deadline. I rarely did things ahead of time. When did all that change for you? Oh, you gosh. said recently, was it a year? Re- week? No, recently on purpose about a year ago. I, or maybe a couple years ago, in, in a modified way, but probably a year ago in all aspects of my life, um, I, I just found, I find that when I leave myself um, a little bit of extra time and space in any situation, joy is almost always the result. Say more about that. I'll get to a meeting early and I'll run into someone who I have a chance to have a really cool interaction with. Or I'll have a little time to look over my to-do list. Or I'll have time to read a few pages of a book. So I find that um, if you leave yourself a little bit of extra time, uh, it's just it, it just joy almost always ensues. Or when you beat a deadline, you give yourself a little bit more mm. time to maybe add some extra hustle. And within my in my PR mm-hmm. business... Um, media love it when you beat a deadline. What's the Creole word again? Pardon me? The Creole word? Oh, uh, lanyap. Lanyap. A little something extra, even yeah. with time. Yeah, even with time. So I really, really like to be early. I like to get to the airport early. I like to, um, you know, leave myself leave myself a little bit of extra room in my life and in my business because it just really... Um, I, I also find that I, if I'm early to meetings or, or media engagements with my clients, I, I show up, as you said, I can be very intense, a hundred percent. So I'm less intense if I'm not mm. anxious or mm-hmm. nervous or rushed. So I want to paint a picture here and then ask you a specific question about what happened to you in 2015 or 16 to put you on this journey. So the picture is is everything we're talking about now where you're taking specific things and improving yourself incrementally in life. We talked about the weight, uh, the same tactics, same thing applies. Uh, you're very active on social media. And if anybody is watching you on social media or goes back to one thing is very, very clear. The, the range of your posts are anything from, hey, I just nailed a new client to I'm lost at the airport at Terminal 3, and I don't know where I'm going on a Facebook Live. Can you guys help me? <laughs> uh, you, you know, you're, you're vulnerable in, in your wins and your losses. And hearing you today and observing you the last couple, three years, it's, you know, there's this term out there, living your best life. And it feels like you are really trying and are actually achieving living your best life. Thank you. I'm, I'm really working at it. I'm really working at it. So we went from, you know, 2012 was a dark year. What happened in 2013 and 2014 to put you on this journey 
to lose 77 pounds and 20 from 2015 forward to create margin in your life? Well, a couple things happened. Um, I'm not really sure kind of what happened externally. I mean, there were a few things that happened, you know, with my family and in my life um, that um, really motivated me. Um, But I kind of made a conscious choice that I didn't want to be miserable, to be quite honest with you. Um, And how did you even know you were miserable? I was just not myself. And everyone in my life could tell. I just wasn't myself. I wasn't, I wasn't joyful. I wasn't fun. I wasn't enjoying, you know, things that I used to enjoy. I wasn't laughing a lot. And I mean, that's no way to live. That's just no way to live. So I just kind of made a decision. And I had a lot of friends and family who helped me at the time. And, what were, what were yeah. the conversations like? You said that people around you noticed you weren't yourself. What were the conversations like from them to you to make you realize that you're not yourself? They were very, a lot of people in my life were very kind to me at the time. You know, I had lost these clients and I had gained, you know, gained a bunch of weight and I um, had this foot thing and so I couldn't run. And um, I, I don't know, you know, it was just, it was just they they kind of did what one of my friends, uh, my friend Lisa, who I know through um, the National Association of Women Business Owners, said uh, they showed me the mirror. What does that mean? They kind of showed me kind of who I, what I was projecting out into the world uh, a little bit. So I was a little fear-based. I was more than a little fear-based. But I how would, did Lisa do that? That's, I mean... What did she Lisa, was a new what friend. did she do? She talked to me about deserve level and she talked to me about asking. Wait, she just say, Ruth, we got to sit down. I'm watching you. Uh, you're not, you're, you suck right now. She did. How, but th- that's just me using my words. What were her words? I don't remember. I mean, she, um, uh, I don't remember exactly what she said, but you know, we had some conversations and, um, the national association of women business owners really changed my life in a very positive way. Uh, you know, I joined at a time that I was very insecure and I, you know, I knew I wanted more business, but I didn't know that I would meet some of my best friends. Talk that word, that term you just used, deserve level. So what is that? Yeah, it meant that I, you know, even though I was kind of in not the best place that I, um, I was deserving of a better life. And I think that I had what, uh, my friend Darcy, uh, calls the scarcity mentality at the time. And I, I kind of may have appeared, um, not successful, maybe even a little desperate in my interactions with people because I wanted to change my life so badly. Mm -hmm. And that's not attractive to people. I mean, people, um, People, prospective clients, uh, friends, people that meet at events, they want to be around positive, confident people. Let's go back a bit. Before scarcity, mm-hmm. that's how your behavior is showing up. You yes. have a mindset around what you deserve and don't deserve. Mm-hmm. So let's unpack the deserve level a bit because, you know, if someone, weight is the easy one to point out and say, I'm overweight, I want to lose weight. But do you, do you see yourself as someone who's overweight? Or do you actually see yourself as someone who deserves not to be overweight if that's what you want? Uh, it's easy around money. It's easy around pretty much everything. Your relationship with your your spouse, your kids. So I think it starts with what is it that I expect for myself? Is that the deserved level? Am I getting it right or is it different? Yeah, no. I mean, in my case, at the time, I was really down on myself. Uh, and it wasn't just about the weight. It was like a bunch of things happened at once that were really, that were really negative. The total picture. Really I mean, it was the weight, the clients. Everything. Yeah. Yeah, everything. Uh, there was just a lot of stuff that happened at the same time. So I kind of, I had so much fear and so much self-doubt that I didn't even know if I was deserving of a better life. I didn't even know if abundance and prosperity and joy and laughter were even possible again. I mean, I was in a kind of a dark place, but then I kind of shifted um, partially through the help of, mm-hmm. of the n- women business owners group to know that it was possible. And I started making like little steps forward and I started getting some new clients and I started um, taking care of myself again. And um, things started, things started to shift. 
and I started getting a little happier day by day. And that part of that was Lisa showing you the mirror. Yep, 100%. So it starts with you and inward to outward. Very much so. Um, I mentioned in my in my notes to you, and this is something that I've actually just learned in like the last maybe six months through uh, another women business owner mm-hmm. friend of mine, Ginger. Um, it's about avoiding expectations. So talk more about that. I sometimes... I mean, that's kind of contrary to setting a goal. Yes. Right? Avoiding expectations of other people. Oh, there's yes. a nuance here. There's a nuance. I sometimes would have this expectation or not not what I would call a sense of entitlement, but if I do something for you, mm-hmm. I am owed something in return. You're keeping score. Yeah. Yeah. So that's something that since I started kind of avoiding expectations or kind of not having expectations of situations in my life, I started getting a lot happier. So you're putting out without the expectation of getting back. And as a result of you removing that expectation, you're getting more. Even if it's not a tangible thing, you're feeling happier. Or even if it's not immediate. I might do a favor for someone. I do a lot of favors in my business. I might do a favor for someone who could well afford to pay me, who mm-hmm. doesn't pay me um, because I don't ask for payment and I kind of have sort of an expectation of them doing something uh, I did in the past. And now I'm just a little bit more giving and kinder and helpful. And it definitely comes back. Not always immediately and not always in the way I expect, but it definitely comes back. So avoiding expectations of others is one of the elements of, quote unquote, living your best life. There's another thing you mentioned is avoid the snooze alarm. What's that? Yes. Oh, my gosh. Um, My natural tendency is to be a procrastinator. And that's my whole life in college. Just, oh, my gosh, I'm such a procrastinator. Um, But um, the snooze alarm, I think, um, or putting things on hold or not doing things immediately can really kill a lot of joy and a lot of opportunity in your life. You know, if your car's almost on empty, don't wait until the next day to fill it up. Uh, but th- my, my specific situation is something that was, you know, really, um, really resonated with me. My mom is one of the most incredible human beings. Sally Hamburg, South Bend, Indiana. Oh, my gosh. This woman is absolutely extraordinary. Uh, so my mom wanted to take a mother-daughter trip. So we took a mother-daughter trip, gosh, 20 years ago. Uh, to Paris. And then we took some little ones, but she wanted to take a kind of a big mother-daughter trip about 10 years ago. Uh, I don't know exactly when it was. Anyway, at the time, my business was rocking. I was so busy and I didn't have a lot of help. And I, um, I was a total control freak. And I was like, mom, I can't really take a lot of time off of my business right now to take this epic mother-daughter trip you wanted. And so she was super kind and kept putting it on hold, kept putting it on hold. Well, then flash forward um, a few years ago, uh, my dad had a major health incident. And, uh, you know, he's as a walker and has, you know, has, has some, you know, needs some help. And she can't really take a big mother-daughter trip right now. So that's something that I put on a snooze alarm. And, and at the time, gone. and now, yeah, now, I mean, it may happen in a modified way, but it's going to be a lot more difficult. And that's something I really regret putting on a snooze alarm. Now you mentioned not you know, waiting until the last minute to fill up your gas. What's another example of in the day to day, not hitting the snooze alarm that's meaningful for you? Um, you know, it comes up a lot in business. It comes up a lot in relationships. I have, there's someone I'm very close to um, who I hadn't seen in a really long time. And, you know, her, her birthday was in November and, you know, we never got together. I hadn't really spent time, time with her in a while. And I just kind of had this impulse. I was in Henderson. She lives in Henderson. I live on the other side of town. And I was like, you know, let's go to ice cream. So I texted her. I knew her office was at the district, uh, locally owned ice cream places at the district. And I was like, you know, hey, because she, she always wanted to go to lunch. And I was like, I never had time. I'm like, you know, I'm going to text her and see if we can go have ice cream so we did and I found out I didn't even know this that she had had like a big cancer scare and I was so grateful that we did get together and you know she is just an extraordinary person so I'm really trying not to put those relationships on a snooze alarm another thing you talk about with living your best life is focus and the shiny object syndrome Yes. 
Yes, I like to say that focus is a gift and the shiny object uh, syndrome can be a killer. I'm one of those people who um, really struggles with focus and getting things crossed off my list. And I'm easily distracted by kind of like that bigger, better opportunity or that thing that looks really cool or that opportunity that might provide me like something that I crave, like stability. Uh, I got this perspective, had a couple of perspective clients that came to me through referrals And I decided they were shiny objects and I am not going to take them just because they want me and just because it looks good on paper. Um, Another one that you talk about is, I think it's related. You tell me if it's related, just being decisive, but at the same time, giving yourself permission to pivot. Yes. Yes. I decided I was going to take a new opportunity in my business and it didn't feel right, so I decided not to. I am very indecisive naturally. I really struggle with decisions, but I am. I decided that I waste a lot of time making decisions, so I'm going to be more decisive. <laughs> I'm going to be more decisive. I'm going to decide mm-hmm. um, faster, but I'm going to give myself permission to tweak things. I'm chuckling because those two together, right? Focus is a gift. Um, you're indecisive by nature. Yep. They don't go together exactly. However, you're setting boundaries and parameters for yourself. I mean, okay, so it's, you're really self-aware. And we're talking a lot about um, your weaknesses, not so much your strengths, which we did at the beginning with your passion and your intensity. Mm -hmm. However, you're, you're not decisive. You have a problem being focused. So you really set out to put these parameters around yourself to get to where you want to go, kind of the North Star of your annual mantra every year. Yeah. Is it it that simple? It's not simple at all. It's really hard. It's really, really hard. Um, I, I just decided, I guess you're right. I guess I have become really self-aware and I've really learned a lot from um, thought leaders and people in my life about kind of how, what works for me, you know, what, what's going to help me get results in my life and in my business and what's going to bring me joy. And I like to say, if you can, you should. Because sometimes I, my natural tendency is, oh my gosh, like, like January came on really fast and furious and I have so many opportunities and um, my natural tendency would be to kind of procrastinate, to kind of put things off. This isn't the right time, but I've learned that in life and in business, sometimes you need to take the opportunities when they come to you because they won't come again. So how is that couched in, you know, not chasing the shiny object. How do you know it's not a shiny object? Um, You have to be really deliberate and you have to have certain parameters, certain, um, there's a a podcast I listen to called Sherry and Nancy and they have this, this concept they call the pillar life. So I have a certain set of pillars in my life and in my business that I have defined so I really measure every decision very carefully What's against those pillars. What's an example of pillars? Certain types of industries that I don't want to work in. Okay. So if, I, if something comes to me in one of those industries, I really, really have to do that gut check. And are there other pillars that this opportunity touches in a big enough way that I should veer away from my, my pillar? Okay. So an example of one pillar is industries you don't want to work in. Yep. That's like eliminating the unjoyful. What's yes. another What's another pillar? Yes, making the joyful choice. Making the <laughs> joyful choice. Yes. Um, what's another pillar? Um, so that's yeah, that's that's kind of in my business about about targeting. Uh, another pillar, um, you know, kind of might be something in my life that other people are doing, and I kind of expect myself to do. Like yoga is a recent example of that. <laughs> Everybody talks about how great yoga is, and I kind of have an intense personality. Yoga is something that I should do because it's awesome, and it's really good for mindfulness. So I was like, I'm going to do this yoga thing, and I'm going to go to this yoga event in L.A., and I'm going to extend my trip, and I follow this yoga person on Instagram, and she's amazing, and I'm going to be awesome, and it wasn't my thing. (laughs) It's not my thing. I was going to ask, how do you fit yoga into Weight Watchers and Power Hour and the other stuff you're already doing? So well, you're, you're pursuing that because it's an expectation you're putting on yourself projected by what other people are doing? 
A hundred percent. I admit a hundred percent. I admit. So, you know, maybe the yoga esque thing for me would be, um, a different type of what I call joyful movement. And I thought yoga was joyful movement for me, but it really isn't. So it might be, it really isn't. That's great. Yeah. So it's just being self-aware and giving yourself permission to change your mind and pivot. Okay. Um, Perfect segue and pivot into some takeaways about what you do specifically in public relations. And I want to go over those things, but let's talk about, you know, PR takeaways or PR tips, not just for a company that would hire a PR person, but any individual listening uh, that maybe has zero awareness around PR. What are some of your takeaways around what you do for the kid in the cubicle all the way up to the publicly traded company CEO? Well, I think that with everyone, we we need to remember, you know, when you're talking about public relations, when you're talking about putting your message out there, and specifically with media relations, where you're trying to get media, earned media coverage for yourself, for your brand, for your business, even for your nonprofit, you I think it's really important for everyone, whether it's the kid in the cubicle or the CEO, to always remind ourselves, you've got to be really humble, it's not about you. It's about the media. And it's even about that reporter's boss. Because in many cases, media... That's like another level. That's next level. That's something that I think about all the time. So I need to package my client in a way that's going to make it easier for the reporter or the producer or the TV anchor to sell it to his or her boss. So it's it's not about us. And the other thing is that it's, I like to say that it's equal part sales as it is skill. So it's not just being a compelling writer, crafting an engaging story, but it's how you sell it how you sell it and how you angle it and how you, um, I, I told you a little bit about um, in the notes about what I like to call newsjacking, which I learned from another public relations company. What's that? It's about tying yourself or your story in with the news of the day and making it really, making it so relevant that it becomes irresistible. When I think about that term newsjacking, I think about Donald Trump. Hmm. He just... I mean, especially during the campaign, he hijacked the news. Good or bad, doesn't matter the political message behind any of it. Yep. The point I'm making is all of the media was talking about Donald Trump and the tactic of tweeting something, whatever it is, relevant, irrelevant, absurd, factual, doesn't matter. The, the, the tactic is to get people talking about him the next morning on the news. That's yeah. what I think about in an extreme example. In an extreme example, that's a really good point. Yeah, yeah, it's a, that's a really good point. Um, but, you know, one of the things that, that I struggle with sometimes with my clients is that they put opportunities on a snooze alarm. So there's an opportunity to be on the news for a story about the economy. Oh, you know, I'm really busy today or, you know, my hair doesn't look good or uh, I don't have time to go home and change. Okay, you know, I respect that because mm-hmm. I can only be so pushy, but I try to I try to be really kind, kind. Strategically assertive. Strategically assertive and say, okay, I understand. I'm not going to push you, but I just want you to know that um, this opportunity may not be available next Tuesday. I had a client say, oh, I'm not available um, or, or, you know, today would kind of stress me out, but I could do it next Tuesday. And I could say, well, you know, there may be breaking news next Tuesday. I can't mm-hmm. guarantee that I can make that happen. Someone else might newsjack this segment. Absolutely. And yeah, absolutely. So I try to just be, you know, strategically assertive and kind, yet honest. So, um, you know, the other thing I like to say about PR that's really, really important is that you have to assume that. Uh, no one has any attention span. Mm-hmm. So try to keep your message really concise, really compelling. And, you know, like I say, you know, you really have to bring it every time when you're in PR. It, there's a couple things here, and I'm going to restate everything we talked about and how okay. I'm, I'm receiving it as it applies to life, not just, just in PR. Mm-hmm. The specific one about assume no attention span goes to something that I take from Seth Godin, one of my biggest influences, you know, create something so good that people would miss it if it were gone. Mm. Don't just think that your you know your story is is good. Assume that whoever's hearing your story doesn't care about your story, but make it so good and compelling that 
even with zero attention span, they um, they will care. The other thing about PR, you know, the opportunity might not be there. The way I receive that, and one of the barriers for not working with you back then, and even now, frankly, because I know you have to be absolutely intentional to do this. You have to, like, you know, the example of Galit, Rosen, or Metro Diner, you know, Metro Diner had a finite amount of time and a, and a very specific objective. We're opening stores. We want to get the word out. They were 100% intentional. You had them on the news like every day, it seemed like, not just one of their main key people here, but two, and they were on for that period of time. Uh, it's the same thing about anything else. If you're going to say, I'm going down this rabbit hole of PR or leadership development or uh, become an elite salesperson, be intentional about it and don't. Let's let's do some brand layering. Don't hit the snooze alarm when the opportunity comes. Mm-hmm. Um, you already talked about it's not it's not about you. It's about there's a ninja move here. It's not about the even the other person, the audience, the client you're trying to sell to. And if they don't have a boss, you're really selling to what is their belief. What is their how do they make decisions? So there's that's something really to. We could probably have you back and do an hour on on that one by itself. Well, I mean that's something that's something that I've really I've really learned, you know, kind of even recently in my business because I'm always learning, and I'll ask, you know, my media contacts questions. What kind of things does your boss really like? Or I'll follow news directors and editors on Twitter, and I'll see kind of what stuff they like. Do they have a dog? Do they really like children's charities? So I kind of try to be sort of ninja. And, um, <laughs> you know, try to try to kind of angle my pitches in a way that are going to appeal, be sure they're really visual. Um, and then the other thing that I think is really important, I think that PR um, looks really glamorous yeah. to a lot of entry level um, college students who are entering the market. And I think it's really important to know that um, media relations is it's it's hard work and uh, it's really hard to plan your day because you know your your um, customer really is the journalist as well as you know your client and I like to say it's not the job for you if you're anxious if you can't manage time or if you don't take a rejection well and Ruth I'm anxious <laughs> <laughs> and I struggle with time management you're going and, exactly where I was going and I don't take rejection well but somehow I love what I do so much that I make it work that's funny. Um, I want to <laughs> kind of go into a, a takeaway that I got from this episode specifically, and then we'll kind of close out here. But, you know, hearing your story about how 2012 was a dark place for you, 2013, 14, some things happened. And in 2015, you started taking little steps uh, towards reinvigorating the joyful you, the deserving you. And that 2015 to 2018, that's a long time. That's a span of three or four years now going into 2019. The word that jumps out is patience. <laughs> oh, my gosh. No one would call me patient naturally, but that's something I'm really that's something I've been working on. So thank you. But if any if uh, even me right now, there are things that I want to do three years from now. Uh, that's actually I'm going to call BS on myself. There are things I want to have happen today, tomorrow, next month. But the reality is massive life shifts. They take time. So how do you frame that, having gone on this journey, and, and frankly, you're still on this journey with the story that you shared, you know, between uh, uh, September and November, going above your goal of from uh, your maintenance weight? Yeah, I mean, I think it's, for me, patience is about hustle, and it's about kindness. Those two things, which don't how? even seem related. Hustle it, certainly doesn't seem related. It it is to me. It is to me. Oh, let's hear it. It's well with because with patience, you know. Sometimes uh, my natural tendency. And I say my natural tendency a lot because I know myself mm. really well, and I like I like immediate results. I like being successful. I like you know things happening. I like things going my way, but it doesn't always happen. So hustle means making one more phone call, sending one more email, sending one more handwritten note, making one more LinkedIn connection request. So it's about very intentional, strategic hustle. Mm -hmm. And it's about kindness to myself and to others. And then hustle is also about doing 
kind of creative, out of the box kind of things to get me to my re- my desired results. Like I took, I did a couple of non-paid gigs during TV sweeps where I hooked up some non-paying clients with mm-hmm. coverage, but then I immediately cross-pitched those reporters with paying clients. Okay, so you're planting a seed over here, and at the same time you're being productive uh, over there, and that's rooted in your in your hustle towards your having patience of your the the greater goal of where you want to go. Yeah, and I mean, you know, with my with my health journey, you know, not just weight loss, but just my health journey in general, I mean, my patience, uh, I'm not patient, but um, you know, I've learned that just that consistency consistency day after day really helps with results even if it's not intense consistency just consistency so here we are end of january with resolutions fading away maybe maybe i think they are um, (laughs) fading away for folks all that ambition of the new year kind of diminishing into the daily grind you know keep your north star keep an eye on uh you know, having some patience, but still, you know, give yourself a backbone of a daily hustle toward your, your big results. Yeah. I mean, look at us. How long have we known each other? I've tried to get your business a <laughs> bunch of times, but magic has happened. Mm-hmm. I'll, so. th- I'll tell you magic specifically, even if MDL group doesn't sign a contract with you specifically for PR, if anybody asks me about PR, they get your name. You've definitely you've been a you've been a good friend. You've been a great inspiration, and I'm I'm really grateful. And I have got I've received some new clients that have been LinkedIn connections for 15 years. So I think mm-hmm. that if you're consistent and if you're consistently positive, results are going to happen for you. So I always go into this with takeaways, and I always come out with more. This specific episode, avoid the snooze alarm, was really meaningful for me. I like the uh, shiny object syndrome, having been a uh, I am a um, sufferer of that for sure. Uh, avoiding expectations of others. I think that's, you know, whenever, anytime a Tesla pulls up, I think, God, I should be driving a Tesla, but I don't think I should. Uh, leaving margins. That's a big one. That's um, really something to focus on. And my favorite, I think, from this episode is make the joyful choice when you can. Thank you so much. Absolutely. No, thank you. Thank you for being here. This was really fun for me. Thanks for having me. This is, uh, this is just an honor. I've, I am a huge fan of uh, takeaways. So thank you. Thank you, Ruth. And thank you, everyone, for listening. We'd love to hear from you about your takeaways from this episode. Make sure to leave us a comment, leave us a review, and tune in next time. Thank you for listening. I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. Takeaways podcast is about sharing and paying it forward. If you like this show, please make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast and leave us a review. It really goes a long way. And if you really like the show, please share takeaways with a friend. Thank you and tune in next time.